Hi, I'm Suraj Partha. Welcome to Art in All Its Forms. Thanks so much for listening. This is now the second episode that has come out on a Monday instead of a Friday. And so uh, I may or may not be looking to change the day I put this podcast out, but uh, just uh, stay tuned for that news. A quick note about the audio in this episode. My voice is going to sound a little bit different because I had to use the Zoom audio instead of the mic audio for some technical reasons. But then about two thirds into the podcast, you'll start hearing my voice the way it sounds currently. So anyways, uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Today I'm speaking with Lucy Shelley. Lucy Shelley is a multidisciplinary visual artist and musician originally from Washington, D.C. After studying music in high school, Lucy was a chorister in the Washington National Cathedral Choir, where she performed for numerous high-profile events, including Barack Obama's second inaugural prayer breakfast. She also sang at Carnegie Hall and the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, at the University of Southern California, Lucy pursued a major in vocal performance and a minor in communication design. Since graduating college, Lucy has pursued graphic design full-time in New York City and currently works at cult favorite millennial hair care brand Verb Products as a graphic designer. And she designed the logo and cover art for this podcast, Art in All Its Forms. How are you doing, Lucy? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? <laughs> very well. It's really nice to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So it's been a little bit of time since we've seen each other. because We know each other from USC. And I remember the mm -hmm. early days, like freshman year, of you singing with this band at USC called Harmonious Monks, which is mostly made up of USC students. Yes. Yeah, that was fun for me. I was, I had just started like singing classically at college. I was singing in a choir before that and wanted to pursue classical singing. And it was kind of something where I wanted to venture into like, jazz and pop as well and I saw them performing at I think it was ground zero and yeah. I went up to them after and I said if you guys need a singer I'm available and that's how it started man I miss ground zero a lot ground zero was this like performance cafe <laughs> which had awesome milkshakes that they closed down like midway through our time at SC which is pretty unfortunate <laughs> RIP for real <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your experience at, at USC because you have an interesting story in terms of the fact that you majored in vocal arts which is mostly opera but then you also yes. minored in communication design so tell me how that went for you yeah, of course. So basically, when I was in high school, I was in the Washington National Cathedral Choir, and I was singing classically, almost probably 30, 40 hours a week It was very like, pre professional, um, in terms of like the time commitment and kind of the high profile events we were doing. And from that, um, I decided I wanted to pursue classical music in high school. Um, but while all of that was happening, I was also doing visual art. Um, drawing, painting. My mom's a visual artist, so that's kind of where I got it from. And I had been doing that ever since I was like three, four, five, like, you know, could pick up a marker and draw and things like that. Um, so I knew that I wanted to go to USC because it had Thornton, which was for music, and also had the Roski School of Art and Design. So I knew that I'd be able to like have the option to pursue both things if I wanted to. And for me, when I was pursuing classical music, I was also kind of thinking about like in terms of my career and like 
where I could see my art going as a profession, communication design was kind of the path that incorporated a lot of those things. So I was like really into fashion. I was really into social media, really into marketing, web stuff, all of that. Um, and I was also working at the opera office as a graphic designer. So it was kind of a way to mesh all of my interests together. Tell me a little bit about communication design as a major. So break that down for me. Yeah. In terms of what exactly, what's in the purview of that specifically? So it was interesting. When I first pursued the major, I thought that it was more of like a marketing major. I didn't know that it was going to be so heavily focused on design, but that's actually the route I ended up taking because I really missed like being creative. And like I was in design fundamentals, which is like a class that every design major has to take at USC, which is basically like you do a lot of painting, you do a lot of sketching, you do a lot of like cutting out with X-Acto knives. This is a lot of like making with your hands. Like you're not even touching the Adobe programs yet or anything like that. And I was just like, wow, this is so awesome. Like, I'm so happy that I get to do this and I get to create again. Because at that point, like my entire freshman year, I wasn't creating any type of visual art. Like I wasn't drawing, wasn't painting, sculpting, none of that. Um, so I really missed it. And so I didn't take any of the classes in Annenberg or Marshall that you can kind of take in conjunction with the minor. And I just went all the way up through all of the design courses at USC. And it was really amazing. Like I had such amazing professors. I didn't even know that like graphic design was even a thing, to be honest. And I feel like I hate to say that because I know it's something that people pursue from a really young age. But for me, it kind of came later. And it's more of like visuals with like problem solving and like you are able to work with so many different people. Like I've worked with mental health brands. I've worked with fashion brands, beauty brands, like all that stuff. And you get to like do it all in one while still making art. So that was, that was my experience in that minor. And like, I, it couldn't really have been more perfect because now it's what I'm doing as my career. <laughs> yeah. So how do you, well, I, maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, actually. So let, let's start with something else. You growing up in DC. So what was that mm -hmm. like it's such a unique town i visited only one time. Oh my gosh yeah and it's generally very politics heavy tell me a little bit about what it's like you know studying music or even art in dc yeah dc is i mean i think it's the greatest city on earth and that and that's because i feel like it combines so many different things you can really get the best of all worlds here um i think growing up i was really lucky to be in a place where people are like you know, very socially conscious and really care about important issues. And it's really cool to like grow up in an environment like that. But to be honest, it like really heavily influenced why I ended up pursuing classical music because I was in the Washington National Cathedral Choir while I was in high school. And they take basically three people from every grade level and you audition for like a year and then they take three, like three at the end, probably I want to say like 10 or 15 audition to start with. Um, and at that point I had taken guitar and piano for a really long time. I was like singing a little bit here and there, but I really didn't, I don't know. I didn't see myself as like a singer. Um, and then when I auditioned for that program and I got in singing kind of took control of my life in like a really good way. Like I was singing constantly. And the thing about the Washington national cathedral is that it's kind of a, supposed to be a space for everyone because it's the national cathedral, like it's supposed to be like America's cathedral, I guess. Um, and so because of that, we do a ton of high profile events. We did um, Barack Obama's second inaugural prayer breakfast. We did Nelson Mandela's national memorial service, which was really amazing. And I actually had the privilege of singing the national anthem 
at that by myself, huh. um, which was probably one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever done. I felt insanely honored. I wouldn't really have been able to do any of those things if this wasn't in Washington, DC. Like people are looking to you to provide music, to provide art and to provide, and we did funerals too. So like to provide comfort, consolation. And so I think it kind of instilled in me like that I was doing something that was a lot bigger than me and like myself that was like part of something a lot bigger. So that was kind of um, how it was in DC um, with music and art. <laughs> Yeah, I like the thought about how music is bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like when we get into the study of music, it, it can start to become very insulated. I mean, this is how I feel about a lot yes. of art forms in terms of like when we I go agree. to school or we go through education to, to study for those things, you start getting mm -hmm. extremely insulated about your perspective on, okay, what is music and why is it meaningful? It's funny that the New York Times recently, they um, have this graphic, I don't know if you know if it's graphic design, but they have this article which is basically was designed by like a cartoonist who decided to take up playing piano again. And each like slide is essentially, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. E each slide kind of like tells a little bit of his story of like doing piano, like classical piano lessons or learning during the coronavirus. And the That's amount so cool. <laughs> yeah. And like how profound he found the experience. It made me like miss playing music for the very first time. And like what it feels mm -hmm. like to be that moved by things so simple. It's all around us. Like people who are really inspired by the things that, that we do. And yet a lot of times when you're in school, all you're thinking is like, that fourth was not in tune. It was not. Oh in my tune. god! It did not happen. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! And you're like, oh, this doesn't like it. It does matter, but also there's something bigger than that. I could not agree. Like you put the thing into words. Like I feel like when I got to college, it became really focused on opera. So it became very like individual and soloistic in terms of like what they focused on, which is like great. But for me personally, it was just a very, it was uncharted territory for me, for sure. And then just like getting so down into like nitty gritty stuff with like theory and like orchestration, things like that. I longed to, to kind of go back to like what it had felt like before. Well, I feel like that connects to what I was going to ask you next, which is about the fact that you have sound color synesthesia. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that has impacted you? Yeah, of course. So um, basically, there can be different types of synesthesia, like it's when senses like interact with each other, like if you taste certain things, you see certain colors. There's also like when you see numbers, like numbers appear as different colors, which is, I also have that. But mostly I experience sound color, which is like, I'll hear music, or hear chords or keys, things like that. And then I will just like faintly see colors, like I associate them with different colors. And I remember actually like a really specific story from when I was younger. I used to take ice skating lessons and on the way back home, my dad played this piano version of Carol of the Bells in the car. And like, for me, it was like burnt umber, like orange, kind of those colors, like red and orange. And I went home and then I like went and sat down at the piano and played the exact same thing like in the exact same key and at that point I also realized I had perfect pitch too um <laughs> you really had the holy which, grail of, of music oh my gosh <laughs> yeah I mean it's <laughs> I that was kind of like you know how could I not pursue this if this is what you know I've been given but b flat was like orange and it still is like the colors are still the same to me but it's just been a really interesting thing that kind of informed like how 
I was going to pursue both music and art and how they were always going to be so closely tied to like who I was as a person and like how I experienced the world around me. Yeah, you have that condition, which I think it makes it particularly easy to understand like the connection between these two sides of you, which is like the music side and the artistic, like visual arts side. You know, mm-hmm. whereas for me, I've been trying to explain this to people for years. When people ask me, would you rather act or rather sing or like play music? That, that's like asking me, I, I don't know. That's like, it's like asking me which half of my body I'd like to keep. Like it doesn't really well, make any sense. I mean, I'm still in the same kind of dilemma. Like I still probably couldn't tell you, to be honest. <laughs> right. Um, and it's funny because I, I have a couple of friends who have synesthesia. And then, of course, there's like that funny maybe famous scene depending on who you're talking to from ratatouille remy's like eating food and then like or trying to yes. show the person about the the other rat about the food and then like all the colors pop up and the music pops up and stuff that is what it is like like if there's stuff there was something i could show people to have them understand like that would be it so i mean i can only imagine then different key centers have different colors and so yes it's very clear to you like okay the music is connected to the visual art and to these colors in a very like literal sense for you once you got out of school how did you decide or or i guess the better question is you know have you decided to like fully go uh, the graphic design route in terms of like a profession to be honest that's kind of like a it's a complicated subject for me when i was a junior at usc i kind of was going through a little bit of like burnout when it came to singing i mean i had just been doing it for so long and so intensely that i just felt like in order to like enjoy it again and get back to that feeling i just needed a little bit of a break um and then my senior year i was still taking voice lessons like i was still singing um but i was just pursuing some other things outside of college because i wasn't really sure that i wanted to go to music grad school which is like kind of the path that most voice performance majors take like you usually get your masters after yeah and so i wasn't really sure i wanted to do that and i also like i was really loving communication design and i was like I was finding in my spare time like that was kind of what I would reach for just to like design or to like draw or make art and then when I finished college it actually took me a really really long time to kind of figure out where my path was going to lead next I I knew I wanted to move to New York because I knew I wanted to move back to the east coast because my family was there and I knew I wanted to pursue design but like design is kind of a funny thing where like I mean I still kind of feel like I haven't really hacked how the professional design world works but I actually, this is a funny story. I believe in the power of social media. I believe there are really bad things about social media. I really, I believe there are really good things about social media. And one of the good things is that you can really like make whatever you want happen. Um, And I just remember following all of these design studios and I saw that one was based in Washington, DC. And so I like messaged her and I was like, hi, I'm a new design student. Like I just graduated from school and I'm like looking for jobs and I, you know, need help with my portfolio. I was just wondering if you wanted to have a coffee. I'm like, I guess I could just like sit down and talk to you about like what your path was like and like how you broke into the industry, et cetera. And she actually messaged me back and said, I'm actually looking for an intern right now. If you are like interested in that. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah, sure. Of course. Like sent her my portfolio. We like meshed on the phone. It was great. Um, And I ended up working for her as a freelance intern and then junior designer up until January. So that I got in contact with her I think in July or August of 2019 and then I ended up working for her until like January so it was a really amazing thing that kind of just happened and so that was when I was like okay I need to pursue design 
in order to move to New York, I knew that I needed a full-time job because New York's expensive. And so I ended up working at The Real Real, which is like a sustainable luxury consignment company for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, and I was doing um, everything kind of from sales to like email marketing and things like that. But while I was there, I realized like I really needed to be doing something creative. So I ended up then working at this company, which I work out, which I work at now called Verb Products. Um, it's a hair care pro product company and it's awesome. And I love it so much. And I like get to basically design stuff every day. My team is great and it's been really a wild ride. Um, and then in this kind of story, I also want to mention, like I talked to a lot of my USC professors and they were just like freelance for as long as you can make as much work as you can just keep making things. And like, it, it will come. So that was like what I tried to do. There's a, a great book by this business professor from, I believe it's UPenn. His name is Adam Grant, but the book is called The Originals. And in that book, he talks about like this quantity versus quality question and how the answer, most people think it's quality over quantity, but the reality is actually that quantity is more important than quality in terms of the fact yeah. that you actually mm -hmm. get better quality material if you do it a lot. So like exactly if you to, to work on something, it gets better. And then, you know, out of the 100, 200 pieces of whatever it may be, for me, it's like, okay, I sang like 30 covers of this, these songs that they all have some little mistakes in them that I'm not a huge fan of. But if I nitpick on every one of those things, and I decide I'm not putting out the video, then I have zero things for anyone to see. Whereas, you know, there's 30 of them. And like, five or six of them are my personal favorites and I can be proud of them. And the other ones, I'm like, you know what? I did it. It was a challenge. Things went well. Things didn't go well. Life goes on, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, for design, it was definitely like I had to make a lot of crap <laughs> before I <laughs> yeah. made stuff that was really any good at all. And I still think a lot of the stuff I make is crap, but I just don't show people. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like we all do. I think that's what's oh, yeah. it's so interesting to me because I look at the stuff you know, and, and I could be like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like, this is amazing. And you'll be like, no, this is not it. It isn't it. And I'm like, I don't know what well, that I, means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tell me a little bit about, um, the real, real, just because I'm, I was super interested in this company after reading an article, a long article in the New Yorker about it. Oh yeah. Um, and so just to put it very mildly, I am not fashionable in any way, shape or form. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm the typical like actor in one sense, which is I'm very happy that for like TV film stuff, people costume me and I don't have to mm -hmm. pick anything out and I get to just walk out to set in sweatpants. I, I do that every time. <laughs> like, and so I'm, I'm just not super, uh, like knowledgeable of a lot of these, these different companies and this kind of like new niche millennial. Uh, yeah, these fashion brands that are not the Revlons and the Sephora's of the world. So, so tell me a little bit about how you found this particular niche for yourself in terms of where you wanted to work, because that's what I've seen consistently in the places that you've kind of been interested in working. Yeah, well, so I love the real. I originally gravitated towards the real, real because I worked in LA. I worked across from the Melrose store. Oh yeah. Which was yeah, like yeah. one of their first stores, I think. Um, and then also I took a fashion class at USC and we were going to go to the real, real as a field trip because we talked a lot about sustainability. And that's like one of the biggest principles of the real, real is sustainability because they're extending the life cycle of luxury goods. So instead of like people buying whatever's in season and just tossing it, 
people now who don't normally have access to luxury goods can buy it at, at a discounted price. And it's usually in really good condition. These are items that would just be wasted, but their life cycle is being extended. And, and now people can do that instead of like buying something new. Also, the fact that it's like woman founded and woman run was really important to me. Like the company I work for right now is sustainable and ethical. And like, we don't retouch our photos. <laughs> like we care about our customers. Like it's, those are the kinds of things that like I'm interested in and like using design in whatever way I can to help move something good forward. Tell me a little bit about your work with Verb as a graphic designer. So yeah. what do you do for them? Like how does your, your day-to-day, you know, activity generally function? Um, I really do everything. I wear a lot of hats. Um, I, so we have a small, it's a smaller team. We have a small team. I work on everything from designing the packaging of like a new product. If we're coming out with a new product, designing a box. Cause like we sell with Sephora. So like designing a box, like we have a kit of something like multiple products that we're going to sell for like, like a summer promotion or something like that. Um, I'll design the box for that. Um, and it takes a lot of time. Like usually it takes more than a month for like revisions, you know, proofing all of that. So it's like a really um, intense process, but it's like really rewarding when all of that hard work is done and you like see the physical product that you, like, you made. Um, I also sometimes design our emails for like email marketing. Like if you get an email from a brand, those are designed by designers. Sometimes those design stuff for social media, which is really fun too, because I love social media. I think a really important part of companies nowadays is that kind of every asset has to be branded and everything has to be done with intention and done beautifully. Yeah. I mean, my interaction with like that kind of thought into how a product looks and how it feels in your hands or I mean I'm a huge technology nerd so just like looking at all the various designs that Apple has has done and their packaging mm. is like pristine and I think like a genuine inspiration mm. in terms of like every aspect of their supply chain from beginning to end all the way to them handing you the box and you opening the box in your own home is clearly like thought out and meticulously design so that you have the exact experience of like, what does it feel like to take the MacBook out of the box? That level of it, like that attention to detail is something that I think it, it inspires all different kinds of artists. My job isn't just to design the product. My job is, okay, them opening the product and experiencing the product. Like it's a one whole experience. And like my job mm -hmm. is to think about every aspect of that. Yeah, and I that think that kind that's... of comprehensive thinking is super important, yeah. especially more and more now as we have to do social media and we have to, I think, go outside the scope of what we thought was our job originally. I totally agree. And like you see also with like companies like Glossier, like really designing an experience, definitely that intention goes into all of the work that I do and trying to make it as clever and fun. And like people, I mean, I think people like to kind of drag on this but like I like to make pretty things too how it feels is really important um but I also love to make things that are like really pretty and look amazing the way I would connect this is to like um I don't know are you familiar with like Aaron Sorkin's work at all like the social network or the west wing yes I'm trying to think of there maybe like a few good men or the newsroom so he's done a ton of tv shows mm -hmm. I mean for all of the controversy that's around Aaron Sorkin I, I still am a huge fan of his work but there comes a point in his episodes where a lot of times you're watching it and you know you're kind of being taken on this emotional ride. Like, you know you're being manipulated into, like, feeling something. You're, like, some mm – -hmm. and, and Seth Meyers did, like, this – a long time ago he did this sketch 
where he like templated out an entire Aaron Sorkin episode and he gets to the end and he's talking about like the speech that a low level staffer gives that like inspires everybody. <laughs> but the, the thing is like sometimes you want to be moved like that. Like it's okay. It yeah. doesn't all have to be dark and it doesn't all have to be so subliminal that you can't even tell. Sometimes it's just nice to mm -hmm. like to feel something and you know that the writer's writing it in, you know it's not realistic and you don't care. You're like, screw it. It's just nice. Why not? Well, I am a big fan of watching cartoons like I really like old cartoons and a lot of people are like oh my god like you know why do you watch that like it's kids stuff it's boring I'm like let me just watch Scooby-Doo in peace and like enjoy <laughs> my life let me just like feel nice for a second we were talking earlier about burnout and I really connected yes. with that because I think what happens is that when people feel burnout and they're surrounded by other people who are equally, if not more passionate about the things that you're passionate about. What, yes. what you start to feel is that like you're not good enough to do it, even though burnout is just something that everyone experiences and everyone needs the break, including the people who you yeah. think are around you who are working nonstop on whatever their art is. The reality is that we all experience burnout and we all need time mm -hmm. to process things and also to not to literally just do something different for a little bit. That was the thing actually for me, like I think that shedding light on it is really important because I think when I was experiencing burnout, I heard a lot of this rhetoric in my head that was kind of like, oh, you don't have what it takes. Like you yep. can't get through it. Oh, it's like, you're not tough enough, especially at a place like USC where everyone is like just insanely talented, insanely driven and loves to talk about it too. <laughs> yeah. I, and only about that too. Like, yes, that's the other piece too, because, you know, it, it's one of the reasons why I love the taking uh, economics courses and international relations courses at USC. I didn't. I didn't know you did that. Yeah, it was for a hot second. I was double majored. And then I realized it was going to be relatively impossible time wise to be able to do yeah. that plus act and, and do thing. music. But what I did enjoy about that was that if I was in like a study session for a, an econ midterm, I could get I like by necessity, I was away from jazz. And I was away from hearing people talk for like the hundredth time about this one particular Dexter Gordon lick that everyone's freaking <laughs> out about that particular week. Like, I mean, and I, and I can listen to that too. And I love listening to it and I do listen to it. But at the same time, yeah. I was happy to talk to a bunch of econ students about like externalities or whatever, just because I, I needed the time to get to get away from it. And I don't know, maybe some people don't experience it the same way that we do. Maybe there are some people yeah. who, who really do have that kind of one-track-mindedness and are they don't get fatigued. But I just tend to think that fatigue happens for different people at different times. and it, But it's inevitable, to me at least. Yeah. And I also think it's just like, I mean, here's the thing. Like, how amazing is it to, like, be surrounded by driven and talented people? Like, I'm not even going to complain for one second about that. But right. the thing is, is, like, it does sometimes take a toll on you in terms of just, like, mental health and, like, I don't know where you're at. And I also think it can be like the, your instructors and like the, your mentors, people you look up to, like what you're working towards. Sometimes if that fades away or if that changes, um, it can really impact you kind of on the inside. So kind of shifting gears here, how do you feel graphic design is different from other visual art forms? I mean, I am, this is definitely somewhere where my knowledge is very limited. I know that obviously graphic design is going to require some level of technical skill just in terms of like, Adobe products like InDesign yes. <laughs> and, and, and whatever else you guys use. So tell me a little bit about 
how you sort of, you know, went from, like you said earlier, making things with your hands to the world of graphic design? So I took this class called Design Fundamentals at USC with a professor. Her name's China Adams. She's amazing. But I remember sitting in her class and like I went into it knowing it was a lot of painting and stuff. I don't want to say this because I feel like it'll come off the wrong way. But for me, like I kind of knew that I wasn't really going to be like a visual artist, like a painter. And I think for me, like design was applying creativity to something else and like knowing that that would be a really marketable skill for me. Got I got so into it. Like I love packaging. I have like 2000 pins and a board on Pinterest about like design and all of that. And I just became so obsessed with it and honestly addicted to it. Like I am thinking about design still 24 seven. Like I love it so much. And then I took this class called digital tools for design, which is when I learned how to use Adobe um, and like Photoshop, Illustrator, I didn't design all that. And it like opened up this whole new world to me. I actually realized recently, like I'd been playing games on the internet since I was really young and like using things like PowerPoint, like the different fonts I could use. I was so big on all of that. And so when I learned how to use the programs, it all just like came together. Like it was really this amazing epiphany moment. And I was just on them like 24 seven. I was like, oh my God, a whole new door has been opened. <laughs> no, it's not. It's nice that you found a love for that aspect of it because I feel like a lot of artists who I speak to, they just look at that process as kind of a hindrance, you know, between like the, the product that the vision that they see in their head and the, the, the final thing that actually comes out, you know, into the world. Whereas I think you're, what you're saying is you're able to find like even the enjoyment in those like little technical, okay, I'm using this Adobe application and I got to do this and I got to do that. It, it does. Yeah. How, how do you think about that? Well, to be honest, I just viewed it mainly as like a huge accomplishment when I learned those programs, especially with like coding and stuff. It's definitely like male dominated. And like, I think it was so empowering to like learn how to use the technology. Every time I use the program, I find it to be like really empowering because like I, there was a time when I didn't know how to use them at all and I was really bad at it. <laughs> now I do. So I really like that. So again, switching gears, let's talk about this art in all its forms logo, which I'm super excited about. And again, I thank you now publicly for, for, for doing this. I really appreciate you making this. Of course. Yeah. Um, my, my approach kind of starts out the same way where like, regardless of what anyone says about like it being for like moms and stuff, I love Pinterest. All my design processes usually start there and I make a mood board. Um, and I feel like that just helps me to like get a clear idea what I'm doing before I do it. Cause sometimes I feel like if you just jump in without like any intention or like acknowledgement of maybe a style that you're emulating it can like make the vision like less clear and then you kind of sometimes you'll second guess it later on like I just found that making the mood board just really helps me to like focus in on that idea and like to waste less time and also when I work with clients it's a really good thing to show them where I'm at in the process and what they could be getting because sometimes you could make the mood board, you show them the product and they hate it. And then you could have said, oh, well, they could have seen my inspiration and like either added to it or said something about it. So I like to usually extend that to the client as well. I knew I wanted to do a gradient just because I've been so into that lately. But I also thought like when I, my inspiration originally was like 
albums on Spotify and how Spotify makes playlists. And usually it's like a gradient and some text and something else. Maybe that's cool. Um, but it's usually something like really eye-catching and it has that like really like modern, like lava lampy kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that that was what I wanted to like emulate for this podcast. And I also, so then like it kind of went on to like choosing colors for that gradient. And I thought I wanted to, I wanted it to be something pretty multicolored. And it kind of brings in that there's intersectionality and like interdisciplinary pursuits and all of that. And then for the logo, I wanted it to be something really simple, circle, like a call out. Um, And I feel like circles are really good because they kind of, you know, they're always going, you know, Mm -hmm. always intersecting, connectedness, all of that, like kind of an infinity sort of thing. It's just like subconscious what you associate. Um, And I, I just really wanted it to be simple. If you make a poster, if you make a program, if you make merch one day with like hats or something, like Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be something that could work for all those things. And that's what I like to do at Verb too. Like I like to make templates. I like to make things you can use again and again, and it'll be timeless. Um, And that's what I wanted to do for this logo. It it was great because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going back through like the email I sent you, which literally was like, I'll give you a little overview of the idea. The podcast is about a few things, interdisciplinary art and artists. How artists use other art forms than the one they specialize in to inform their own work. Finding art in places you might not expect. Like that's all, that's really all I told you. And, and like what you came up with, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I like, I, I, I like this. This is good. And what I especially like is that is how much of like the language that I had written, you took back in your reply in terms of having a rationale for everything that you did. That's the part I really appreciated because it, it didn't just come out of the void and all of a sudden like, here's the logo. It was like, hey, you talked about this interconnectedness and that's why I have the circle. We, you know, this is why I have the gradient because it looks, this, it, you know, it, it provides this kind of feeling to whoever's looking at it, et cetera, et cetera. And it reminds me a lot of how we talk about um, like intention in acting, which is like, okay, don't just say something like you say it cause you mean it. And why do you mean it? And how is that relevant? And if you do all the work, you start recognizing that the line that you say on page 15 really connects with the line that's said by the other character on page 27. You have to have a reason for what you do. I think in any art form, it's like that. You can even talk to visual artists who make very esoteric work, who, when you like, actually read about them in a museum you're like oh wow these people are thinking about their process in a very methodical manner yeah I mean I I like agree with all of that and I think like an artist that really comes to mind is like Mark Rothko who makes like it's like one color and another color and a lot of people are like what even is this but when you look at like his life what he experienced and what he wanted his art to be it makes so much sense like there are these like meditative pieces that you can sit in front of for hours and like be calm and that was not really being done in art at all I mean that's my interpretation like I want to disclaim like that's that's how I view it but like it's it's really truly amazing and then also like I had a teacher at USC his name's Eric Yunker he's like a really amazing designer and like prominent person in like LA um but he he talked to us about stories and like what makes design really amazing is like telling a story mm. and we would give our presentations in class and he'd be like, why did you do this? Like, what is the story behind this? Tell us like every element must have a story. 
yeah, the storytelling aspect really doesn't change. I think for any art form, it's so like the the actual technical skill you need to do whatever it is you do obviously is different. But I mean, the common theme of this podcast is that you know that kind of storytelling is in every art form, and they're really not that far apart. There's a reason why, like an IKEA uh, step stool is like a is like a genuine part of all of our lives, and it's because of those dots. They like they do make you feel something. They make you feel like a like childhood. I don't know what to say other than that. Or like why, I don't know. This is interior design stuff, but like why painting a room yellow drives people crazy. Like why painting it blue makes them feel calm. Like it's a it's a real thing, and it's like real like real psychology goes into it. Especially like for me, I'm now kind of getting into like app design and like UX and UI, and like colors are really important. Because I recently did a UI kit for this app called Cheerio, and I chose like blue and like mint green and like a nice like peachy orange. The app is supposed to be a mental health support group, basically like anonymous. And like using those colors is really important and like having it be soothing, having it be calming and comforting, like that's all there, but it's like a, a subtlety that like not a lot of people like maybe know to look for. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, I wanted to thank you so much for being on this podcast. It was really, really nice. And of course, thank you again for designing the logo. Where can people uh, find you? Um, so my website is currently under construction, but it is L-U-C-I-E-T-E-R-E-S-A.com, LucyTeresa.com. Um, my Instagram can be found at Lucy.Teresa. So L-U-C-I-E dot T-E-R-E-S-A. And then my art and design and mental health Instagram account can be found at Lucy.Teresa.JPG. So that is where you can find me. All righty. Yeah, again, Lucy, thanks so much for, for being here and talking with me. I know it's been a while since we've had a chance to talk, so it was really, really nice to, to see you again virtually. Thank you so much for having me, and this is awesome, and I'm so happy you're doing this project, and I like wish you the best of luck in all of your endeavors. You can subscribe to Art in All Its Forms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at art in all its forms pod that's art in all its forms pod uh, if you want to send us an email with uh, comments questions concerns musings you can email us at aiaifpod at gmail.com that's aiaifpod at gmail.com thanks